Uh, I hope all of y'all are doing well today. Everybody doing good? Everybody, everybody doing good? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Everybody, uh, everybody full from Turkey Day, uh, eating all the leftovers. Man, I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, I know that many people uh, are traveled for, uh, for the holidays. Some of you kind of made it back. Maybe some of our folks didn't. Uh, perhaps you're here today and you traveled, uh, you traveled to Cookville from someplace to visit some family and you've shown up in worship today and maybe you're a guest for the first time. Thank you so much for being here worshiping with us at Stephen Street. Uh, we're uh, on the tail end of a series on Christian families. And uh, the first three weeks, I talked about Christian marriage. Uh, the final three weeks, and this is the second. Uh, we have one. We, well, we have one more message left in uh, in this last three weeks. I'm talking about Christian parenting and what it means to be a Christian parent. And uh, I gave you a, just a simple definition of my perspective, and I hope it's a perspective that you agree is scriptural, but uh, my perspective on Christian parenting is, is simply this, training children in godliness through personal example. I don't think there's anything more important for us as Christians other than our personal walk with Christ. There's really nothing, nothing more important for us as Christians than to live out our Christianity in our home, in our marriages, with our children, and with, and with our family. And what we want for our kids is we want them to be godly. As Christian parents, I'm sure there's other things that you want for your children. Uh, you want them to grow up and be responsible. You want them to grow up and have a job one day. Uh, you want them to make straight A's maybe. You want them to be good at athletics. I guess there's lots of different goals that we have for our kids. But distinctively, if we're going to be Christian parents, distinctively what we want them to be is godly. And the way that we train them in doing that is not by delegating it to someone else, delegating it to a church, delegating it to uh, a Christian person other than, other than ourselves. Our goal, our job as Christian parents is to be directly involved in the spiritual training of our kids. It's not something that we dish off to the church. It will have to do more than just bring them to church and pray a memorized prayer before mealtimes. It takes more than that if we want our children to truly be, uh, to, uh, be godly. Next week, I'm going to talk, uh, and this will be the last, the last sermon in this series, I'm going to talk about a Christian identity. One of the things that we know that kids struggle with these days are various mental illnesses, emotional, in, uh, emotional, uh, emotional crisis, identity crisis. I want to talk to you next week about have, ha, helping your kids to have a Christian identity as the children of God. But today, I want to talk about a Christian home. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I believe this is the best passage on parenting in the entire Bible. Uh, and it's just my opinion. You may have some favorite passages of your own when it comes to parenting, like, you know, train up a child the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, or spare the rod, spoil the child. Maybe you have your, your, favorite, uh, your, your favorite passage or your favorite verse about parenting. But this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in my opinion, is the best that we can find because it gives us so much information. And really, I could, I could, I could spend a whole, a whole series just in the principles that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And even though it's in the Old Testament and it was written to the ancient Hebrews, 
what we see in this passage is a picture of how a, of, of a society where home-based discipleship is the foundational for, foundation for the success of God's people. Now, I told you last week I was going to give you two principles of a sincere faith. Because last week I pointed out that our drive for what we're trying to drive our kids towards is to have is to have faith. And I told you I was going to read a passage in Deuteronomy and point out that there are kind of kind of two main overarching things that we can look at when it comes to what what a sincere faith involves. And I'll just tell them to you quickly, even though I'm going to get there eventually in my sermon today. Uh, it is uh, the fear of God and. A love for God. I'm going to talk about those and really, uh, and, and really important, especially the second one. Uh, but today, I, I want to I want to look at all of this passage and 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 talk about what it means to have a Christian home in general. So stand with me as we look at Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, again, what I believe to be just the best passage on parenting that we could read. In fact, last night I just couldn't help myself. Uh, I, I read over and I was meditating on, on chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, which is our text for today. But I just kept reading chapter 6, and then I kept reading chapter 7. There is, I want to encourage you this week, I want to encourage you this week to meditate on these verses. Go home sometime this week and recall some things from this sermon and sit down and read through these first few passages and really just soak it in and meditate on it. And as you feel led, read the chapters that follow. Read the remainder of chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. There are some amazing, there's just some amazing stuff in these verses about parenting that even though it was, even though it was written to ancient Israel and to the ancient Hebrews, still applicable to us today. So here, here are these words. Um, chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And listen, verse 5, which I'm about to read, is a verse that Jesus quoted and said that it was the most important commandment in the entire Old Testament, that all the law and the prophets hang on this, on this one verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. God, help us to be good parents. Help us to be good grandparents. Help us today, Lord, to raise a new generation that will obey you and love you and fear you and serve you. God, so that this new generation that they might have kids and they might teach those kids to be Christian. And Lord, so that our posterity will serve you and worship you. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, like I said, Moses wrote these verses to the ancient Hebrews. If you're familiar with the story, the ancient Hebrews, uh, after the Exodus, uh, they came into the desert. They wandered in the Sinai Desert for, uh, for, for 40 years. Eventually, they crossed the Jordan and they inherited a land that God had promised their forefathers long ago that their forefathers would possess this land and that they would live in it. And, uh, and Moses is now passing on, given these warnings, these commands, these encouragements to the ancient Hebrews, basically saying to them, your nation will not survive unless you obey my commands. Basically, God is saying, it's, it's been a long road getting y'all here. All the way back to Abram, Genesis chapter 12, I think it was. Whenever God promised Abram that his, his descendants were going to be like the seashore and he was going to bring them into this land, and now it's happening. A lot of things has, have occurred. A lot of things have had to happen to get the Hebrews into this, uh, to this land, which is now modern-day Israel. And God said, you will not survive here if you don't obey my commands. And not just you, but also your kids. And not just... Not just your kids, but also their kids. That all of your generations from henceforth are going to have to obey the commandments of the Lord. Or God basically says, I'm, I'm going to take you out of the land. I'm going to wipe you like a dish and remove you, from, remove you from the land. And there's a couple of things about this and about this passage that really strikes me. The first... And I'm going to repeat this a lot. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. I'll say it next week. But the, one, of the, one of the things that strikes me is that uh, the home was going to be the place of religious instruction for kids. And that parents were to be the primary instruments of the spiritual nurture of their children. That it wasn't going to be delegated to some institution or organization that the, the success of their society was based upon what happened in the home. And I guess the second thing that strikes me about this passage is that it contains arguably the most important verse of Scripture in all of the Bible. In the Old Testament, it was called the Shema. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In the New Testament, for us, we call it the first and greatest commandment. Arguably, the most important verse of Scripture in all of the Bible. And listen, here it is right here, quoted in the midst of a passage about parenting. I think there's something significant about just the fact that that verse of Scripture 
is in the context of parenting and how uh, parents and the home is the place of spiritual nurture. I mean, consider this. Consider that if, if we were to flip back in the pages prior to the book of Deuteronomy, if we were to look at, um, at Leviticus, if we were to look at so many other passages where the Lord talked about the temple, the place where he would be worshipped, the priests, the people who would lead in that worship, the rituals, and all the things that would happen. And, and Jerusalem would be the ultimate place where it would go. Regardless of all of that, God said that it is the home that is the most important place for kids, for children to be nurtured in the faith and parents were to bear the responsibility to make sure that those children obey the Lord, love the Lord, fear the Lord, and know the Lord. Bringing them to church is not enough. You hear me, parents? Bringing them to church is not enough. God has not commanded our preschool director and our kids pastor and our student pastor to be the primary people that spiritually nurture your children. That's not in Scripture. They exist and we exist to come alongside you and help you, but everywhere we go in the Bible, Old Testament in this passage and a lot of verses in the New Testament direct the responsibility for the spiritual nurture of the children upon the, parent, upon the, upon the parents and especially uh, the father. And what we see here in this passage is this big family devotion. I love the picture that we have here. We have whole families devoted to the Lord. You, your son, your son's son. Kids, parents, grandparents, and so forth. All being devoted to the Lord together. And by the way, in my mind, this is a beautiful image of what a New Testament church should look like. Not just a church filled full of young people, not just a church filled full of old people. We see some churches like that. But I praise the Lord that at Stephen Street, we have, we have people of all ages. We have moms, dads, grandparents, kids, um, people of all age ranges, all along the spectrum. And this is a beautiful picture of what God's family should be like, what a church should be like, and this picture of family devotion. But there's a couple of phrases that stick out here. Uh, he says that he wants, to keep, wants them to keep the commandments and the statutes, and he tells them how long he wants them to be obedient. He says, all the days of your life. Not just some of the days of your life, not just towards the end of your life, not just a period of time in the middle of your life, but all the days of your life. How long, parents, how long do you want your kids to know and love Jesus? How long do you want them to follow Jesus and walk with him? You say, well, I, will, I want them to, to love Jesus their whole life. I want you to visualize your children as old adults towards the end of your life. Now, if you need an app for that, uh, you know, they have these aging apps. You know, you can take a picture of your kids, you know, age them. If you ever done, you, you, I mean, look, China's going to get your face anyway, uh, so just whatever. Um, but uh, I want you to visualize your kids at the end of their life. Not necessarily how they look, but I want you to think about what type of life did they have. 
What type of things did they do with their life? Is it really going to matter when your kids are old and they're retired and they're at the end, the end part of their life, let's say the final days of their life, is it really going to matter if they made A's on a test? Is it really going to matter if they made varsity? Is it really going to matter if they worked a really, really lucrative job while they were adults? Is it really going to matter if they, if, if they, if they achieve, achieve like worldly success by worldly standards? Is all, of that, is all of that really going to matter as much as did they follow and love Jesus their entire life? If you're a Christian parent, that's what you want for your kids. You want your kids to know Jesus and love Jesus their entire life, no matter how great they are academically, no matter how good they are athletically, no matter how much success or how much financial wealth they have in their life. You want to know, if you're a Christian parent, you want to know that they love Jesus. If you're a Christian, that's what you want for yourself. And when you're entering your final days, are you really going to reflect back on, uh, on some of the things that I've already mentioned? Or are you going to think about family? Are you going to think about eternity? Are you going to think about the Lord? All the days of your life is the vision of, 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 of son and uh, grandson and grandparents and everyone being devoted together. And I also love this term right here. Multiply greatly. You know, at the Parkinson House, we've done pretty good at that six kids, but we haven't done near as good as some other families in our church. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got one family that I call the mega family, and uh, we've got uh, another, fa another family that's, that's getting close. We had, we had one family on stage uh, last, last week that we did parent-child dedication. Seven kids, man, they've even beat the Parkinson house. Uh, but they don't, uh, they don't come close to, uh, to one family in our church that has 12 kids. Wow, that's a lot of babies. You know, when I look at this, and when I look at multiply greatly, I'm not so sure that that's just talking about one family having a lot of babies, as it is a lot of families having a lot of kids and there being more families and more kids and more people that love and know Jesus on the face of the earth. You know, that's always been in God's mind. You remember Adam and Eve, if we were to skip back to Genesis, and when, when God created the world, he created the sun and moon, and he said, that's good. He created the sea, and he created the land, and he said, hey, that's, that's pretty good. He created vegetation and animals. He said, that's good. He created Adam and Eve. He said, that is very good. Now, this was before they had sinned. This is before there was any wrong or evil. They were in perfect fellowship with God. You know what he told these beautiful creatures, man and woman, Adam and Eve? When you know what he told them? He said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. He said, make more people like you, more people that can have fellowship with me, more people that walk with me, more people that worship me. Well, this old snake slithered into the garden, and he kind of he messed some things up, but God wasn't done. You remember Abram? 
He told Abram, he said, hey, leave your country, your family, go to a land that I will show you. And God appeared to him. God made a covenant with Abram. And what did he say? He said, look up at the stars. He said, I'm going to multiply your descendants like the stars. He said, look down at the sand on the seashore. I'm going to multiply your descendants. You won't even be able to count them. And now Abraham is considered our father of faith. If we look in Revelation, we see a vision of the future. What do we see? We see a great multitude of people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue, standing before the throne, worshiping God. And that's, that's the point of this multiplication. The interesting part, and this is, this is not a slam against doing missions uh, and, 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 and against doing evangelism, but here's the thing. We have been told to go and to make disciples, but when we see God's grand plan of multiplication of people who know and love Jesus, it comes out of Christian homes with Christian parents who raise Christian kids, who give birth to more kids and more kids that, have, that also have, uh, have, have kids, and they all become Christians, and they love the Lord, and they multiply, and they fill the earth with worshipers of Jesus. Now, I said last week that there's two kind of keys to helping a child have a sincere faith. I hope this is helpful to you. Now, I have, I, I, in, this, in this series, I haven't been given a lot of on-the-ground, like practical, you know, day-by-day kind of parenting stuff. What I'm trying to do is give you kind of a high-level biblical framework. You're the strategist for your family, and you have to figure out how to accomplish this. And here's what you want to accomplish. You want your kids to have a sincere faith, and what that means is, that means they have a fear of God and a love for God. I believe that these are two components that we see in Scripture that are beautifully summarized in this passage that help to show us what we want to produce as far as our kids are concerned. And, uh, and you've heard me say this before, and, and, uh, and I'm going to recommend a book to you in just, in just a minute. But when we look at the heart of what we're trying to shape, we're trying to do more than just modify behavior. There is a difference between behavior modification and what Scripture we see right here, heart transformation. Big time difference between those two. And I don't know about you, but as parents, sometimes I get in, I, I get in the throes of parenting, and I, I, just, I just have a tendency to think about modifying the behavior. A kid's being bad, I don't want it to be that way, so let's modify it. Let's apply some rules and some boundaries and some circumstances so that we can change that behavior on the outside. Behavior modification is just, well, it's what we do with animals. Your dog jumps up on you. You don't want them to do that, so you train that behavior so that they don't do it. This is what society does with us. They let you drive a car, but they want to modify your behavior so that you don't go too fast down Willow. So what do they do? They post speed limit signs, and they have traffic officers so that if you break the rules, uh, you get a ticket. They want to modify that behavior. Can I suggest to you that just modifying the behavior of a human being is not enough. 
just saying, okay, I, I want to, they're making bad grades, and so let's help them make better grades or whatever it might be. We want to get to the heart of the matter. That's true discipleship, isn't it? Not just looking and behaving on the outside like we should, but actually being who we should be on the inside. If we do that, the behavior will take care of itself. Heart transformation is something that I, I think the best place from a parenting perspective that I can point you is uh, as far as helping a child and transforming their heart is, is, is a, a book by a guy named Ted Tripp, uh, and it's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Now listen, I don't usually like to recommend books. I don't usually like to quote people. Sometimes I'll just say things like, hey, I got this quote from a place, but I won't tell you where I got it because I'm, I'm scared somebody next week is going to do something crazy and then I quoted the person. It happens. It happens a lot. Um, but this is a great book. This is an awesome book. And in this book, he talks about helping a child to have a Godward orientation, to help them in their heart to fear the Lord and love the Lord. And, um, and, and those, are, those, are things, those are things that happen in a person's heart. You, you, can't just, you can't just set rules and boundaries and circumstances and train behavior on the outside and somehow expect that that's going to change a person on the inside. We need a different tactic than that. But before we get there, let's, let's, let's look at these two things. We must teach our kids to fear the Lord. You know, there's something that Kelly won't let me do with our kids. Uh, she won't allow me to let them watch scary movies. And I'm really disappointed in that because I think scared kids is kind of funny. Uh, you know, they, they get all freaked out and scared. I remember one time uh, I scared my kid. Uh, I scared, I think it was Joel. I think he was just like two years old. And I got this scary mask on Halloween. And, I, and they, they were inside in the living room. And I kind of poked it, you know, poked that scary mask around. And I kind of banged his head. And Joel looked at it and he goes... <laughs> and I just thought it was so funny. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was hilarious. So we can't really scare kids at the Parkinson household, you know, uh, and for good reason. Y'all know I'm just, I'm, I'm just teasing. But that's not what this means. That's not what this means. Uh, teaching a child to fear the Lord and just the fear of the Lord in general, it doesn't mean that we need to be scared of God. We don't look at our kids and we don't teach our kids and say, you better do right or God's going to get you. We don't do that. We don't, we don't teach our kids to be scared of God. He's going to throw you in hell if you don't behave right. That's, that's not what we do. Fear is a reverence that we have for God. And reverence is not just something that's on the outside. Reverence is a respect and an all that we have for God, where we hallow his name. And not just in the Lord's prayer, but in our heart and, the, and also the way that we live our life, we hallow his name as we think about who he is and what he expects of us. So for example, if our children only do what's right, 
because they're scared of consequences or they're scared of getting caught or they think they might get in trouble or mom and dad might be disappointed. You see, God's nowhere in that equation if you think about it. And now listen, I hope that there's some good motivation there because obviously we don't want our kids to do bad things because there are bad consequences. And we don't want our kids to make bad choices because we will be disappointed. And so in a certain sense, that is a motivator. But even good, even good parents use those tactics. You don't have to be a Christian parent to use those tactics. But what if we could do some things to where we trained the hearts of our children to where they had an awareness of God, to where they said, you know, I don't want to make that bad choice because God sees me and I respect him. God sees me and I want to live my life in a way that respects him and that gives him the honor that he is due. I'll take that in a child any day. Matter of fact, if I, if I can somehow teach and train my children to do that, they will never disappoint me. They will never have bad behavior that would disappoint me if every choice and every decision that ma they made had a Godward orientation, like, like Tripp calls it, or had a, a respect and an awe for God. That's what we want for them. We also need to teach them to love God. This is also something that happens in the heart. Jesus said that this was the first and greatest commandment. It's first for us as Christians. It's first for us as Christian parents in how we want to raise our children. Parents, we want our children to love the Lord. Don't you want them to love the Lord? Even if they make bees, even if they, they, don't make, they don't make the team, even if they don't get their dream job one day, even if they don't have a high measure of worldly success and, and fame, even if they don't make a lot of money, even if they're not popular, what if, what, what if they're none of those things but they're godly? I say it's a win. I say it's a win. If they love the Lord, love him with their whole heart. Listen, that's a win for you and me. For you and me as disciples. If we can love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul, and then pass that on to our children. Listen, parents, I believe that God is calling us to shape the affections of our children, to teach them what to love and to teach them what to respect. You are already doing this in some way with something or with someone. You are already doing this as a parent. The question is, are we doing it to where we are pointing them to fear God and to point them to love God? Are we shaping their affections towards the right person? Or, have we, or are we too caught up in shaping their affections and teaching them to respect and love various things in this world that we think will help them in life? 
I think we need to see beyond their life and look into eternity and say, kids, the only thing that really matters is that you love Jesus. That's it. Everything else will come in time. Now, I told you that in this series, I'm not giving you a lot of on-the-ground tactics for how to do this. You can read books for that. There's lots of great books out there on parenting and Christian parenting and and how to do that. You can read some books by James Dobson or look up some more books by Tripp and some other places. You you don't need a sermon for that. You You can find those on the ground tactics. You can find those practical type of things in books. I'm just trying to give you the biblical framework for a Christian home. But let me give you two. Let, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you just two that I, hope, that I hope will be helpful. Number one, and I, this, is, this is repetitious and I'm sorry, but they have to see you as a parent love the Lord and fear the Lord. They have to see it in you. They have to see that Jesus is first in your life. Are you going to be able to, are you going to, be able to teach them how to, how to revere and respect God if you don't? revere and respect, if they don't see you in love with Jesus, are you going to be able to teach them how to love Jesus? It has to first be true in you. You have to nurture it in your own heart. And they have to see it in you. And that's, that's, that matter of fact, that's one of the main ways that you train them. Number two, this may be a little more practical. But this relationship that you have with God where you love him and respect him, make that the basis and the foundation for your relationship with your child. So they see you love God and then you establish a loving relationship with your child. They see you revere and respect God and then you develop a respectful relationship between you and your child. I don't think when it comes when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to the emotional needs of a child, Christian or not, there's nothing that they need more in order that, other than other than feeling loved. That's that's what a child needs more than anything else. Just like they need food, they need water, they need shelter, they need clothing. A child needs to feel loved. I couldn't care less if my kids get mad at me or don't like me couldn't care less. But if they don't feel loved, then that's a problem. Amen, parents? They need to feel loved. And also, they need to learn to love you properly. You need to train them and teach them through your love for them how they show love to you. The same way with the the fear of the Lord or respect. You respect your child, your child respects you. Now listen, when a child is five years old, they don't understand respect. But as they get older, they do. You teach your child to respect you, and you show respect to your child, and you establish a relationship of love and respect where they see you and God in a relationship where you respect and love the Lord in your heart, and then you model that in your relationship with them where there's mutual love and respect that go back and forth between you and them. They'll see that it's Christ-centered, and that's one of the ways that we shape them. And you have, to, you have to determine the tactics. Nobody knows your child better than you do. You spend more time with them than anyone. I mean, you, you gave birth to them. You have raised them. They've been in your home. You know them better than anyone. How will you 
accomplish this to where you nurture in their heart a love for God and a fear of God so that they might have a sincere faith. Can I tell you today that this is not going to happen naturally? It's not going to happen naturally. It has to be proactive on your part, and that's what we see in this passage, a proactive style of parenting. There's a word that jumps out to me in this passage. I, I, I think I've preached on this verse during one of our uh, building campaign, maybe our Rise and Tell, or um, I, I can't remember, but I, I, pointed this out, I pointed this out also. That word just jumps out to me, the word diligently, diligently. The Bible says that teach the fear of God and the love of God that would shape their heart and do it diligently. Teach them to obey and teach them diligently to your children. The word diligent is an important word because it means to teach and impress by frequent repetition. That's, that's what diligently means. And you probably do this a lot with manners, like you teach your kid manners. You know, don't smack, you know, whenever you eat, put your napkin in your lap, you know, when they're young, hey, don't throw food, whatever it might be. You teach them manners, you know, look adults in the eyes, shake their hand, uh, say yes ma'am, say no ma'am. You know, you teach them basic manners. And how do you do that? You do, you impress that on them by frequent repetition. And you tell them uh, over and over and over and over and over and over again. If you want a child to do what's right, unfortunately, okay, so, so for, for those of you who don't have kids, uh, my college students not married yet, who are not married yet, my young adults uh, married without kids, I, I'm sorry to say this, but you can't just tell them once and they do it. I wish it was that way. Now, if they see something wrong, all they have to do is see it one time and they got it for life. Isn't that so frustrating? You know why that is, don't you? Because kids are just little sinners. They are. They're just, they're just little sinners. They were born that way. They see something that is wrong, they got it. But if you want to teach them how to be godly and to do what is right, you have to impress it upon them with frequent repetition. And it takes like 18 years. I said that in the first service. So someone came out after me and said, nope, you're wrong. It takes a lot longer than 18 years. I'm still working on it. My kids are grown. And that's just part of what we do. And we impress it upon them. Education, same way. Work, same way. We impress through frequent repetition. And if your child grows up and they hear things repeated over and over and over and over again, such as keep your eye on the ball, dress for success, study hard, aim small, miss small, keep your napkin in your lap, take your elbows off the table, and they hear all of these things repeated over and over and over, but they don't hear, fear the Lord, love the Lord, respect the Lord, worship the Lord then we're not being Christian parents. Good parents, yes, but not Christian parents. I mean, don't good parents teach their kids how to dress and have manners and how to study hard and do all these? Of course, good parents do all those things. Christian parents 
diligently impress upon their kids the importance of fearing God and loving God and worshiping God. And this scripture even tells us how to do it and tells us when to do it proactively. It says, hey, do it when you're sitting in your house. Just whenever you're sitting in your house. This, this morning I caught myself sitting in the house uh, speaking to one of, my, uh, one, of, one of my younger ones who's sitting on the front row. He's probably not listening, so I can talk about him. Um, my, uh, my six-year-old, and uh, I said, you know what we do at church? Oh, he is listed. I didn't think he was listed. I said, you know what we do at church? He said, learn about Jesus. I said, nope. We worship Jesus. You see, I... That's teaching them young. And, and Andy, I, I, wanted, I want you to be proud of me, you know, teaching them what we do here. It's worship, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we can do it just spontaneously. Just when you're, when you're just sitting in your house or when you're driving down the road. They didn't have cars back then. They walked, but we drive. When you're, when you're just driving down the road. I remember one time we were driving down the road. We were going on a trip. And uh, my oldest son, who was, I don't know, eight or nine at the time, and he said, Dad, I wish we could just teleport and be where we are. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I do too. Maybe we ought to, maybe, maybe we ought to you, know, you know, ask God. Or I don't remember what I said. And he said, well, it's impossible to teleport. I said, impossible? Are you sure about that? He goes, yep, it's impossible. He says, no one has ever really teleported. And I said, are you sure about that? And uh, so I don't remember if we, if we looked on the phone or whatever, but I shared with him the story. Some of y'all know where I'm going about this. The story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Y'all remember that? that? Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and then what happened? Well, he, okay, teleported is maybe not the right word. I took a little artistic, creative license in that, but it was a fun, teachable moment about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Parents, stand up on a chair and roar like Goliath and tell your kids the story of David and Goliath. And watch in amazement as your kid goes into their you know, first grade or second grade or third grade Sunday school class and, and your teacher is amazed that they already know the story. Why? Because you already told it to them at home. And so you can do it when you sit, when you drive down the road. How about this? When you lie down. Bedtime routines for small children are critical, critical, critical of importance. Now listen, in the Parkinson house, it's mass chaos. If there's anything that we have let go of as parents, it is the nighttime routine. It is war at our house. Get in the bed. Everybody asleep. You know, I mean, it is, it is yeah, it's, it's something. I need some help with that one. And how about this? When you rise, when you wake up in the morning, you know there's no better time to read the Bible and to pray than first thing in the morning? I mean, it just starts your day off right. You can do that with your kids. Um, the Bible even tells us in the way that we dress, we can teach our kids. Bind them as a sign on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. The way that we decorate our house. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, it doesn't say you have to do these things and you have to do them all perfectly. These are just suggestions. Formally or informally, we have to be proactive in teaching and training our kids. Now listen, ultimately... Ultimately, they grow up and make, and make their own decisions about their life. 
And this is something that's really sad. I know that you've seen this before. Maybe as parents, maybe you have an older child that has gone wayward. And maybe, maybe you're looking at this, you're saying, I've done all of those things. I mean, I lived a godly life, and I told them about Jesus, and we read them Bible stories, and I brought them to church, and I sought to be an example, and I, I did all these things, and my child went wayward. Listen, parents, I wish there was a guarantee. I really do. I wish there was a guarantee that your children would always walk with the Lord if you did everything perfectly. But unfortunately, we're sinful human beings, and we have the power of rebellion. Your kids can rebel, and a lot of kids do. And parents, I, I know that also, you're, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm really, I'm really bombing as a parent, man. I just need to do so much better. Can't we all? I mean, can't all of us do? I know that I, know that I can. I know that it's, it's so easy not to do these things. It is just natural to to just be a, an okay parent and a good parent and not be a godly parent that the Lord has called us to be. It's the same thing with the Christian life. It's easy to neglect our Christian life. It's easy to drift away. It's easy not to be the person that God has called us to be. And listen, take courage. I believe, I believe that God will answer a prayer from a parent that seeks help raising godly kids. I believe God will answer that prayer. It's no guarantee that your children will grow up and be godly. But I believe that regardless of what happens, after you launch your children, wherever they go and whatever they do, I believe that you can stand before the Lord with a clear conscience. You ask Him, how, what, what does He want you, how does He want you to accomplish this? What are His commands to do, for, for you to do? And you do your part, and the rest is between them and God. At some point, at some point, you have to turn them over and you have to say, you know what, God, these never were my children. They have always and will forever be your creation. And I, and I, and I give them over to you. As a matter of fact, you ought to practice that prayer early. You ought to practice that prayer from birth. God, thank you for this child. It's not my child, it's your child. Help me to be a good steward over this life and help me to shape them to be godly. Okay, I've kind of gone over time. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want you to bow your heads.